together. It was at this table that Hadley had her suspicions of the affair confirmed. I think Ernest and Fife were very fond of each other, Fife's sister had said. That's all she had needed to say. Yes, Hadley would rather be in Paris or even St. Louis right now. These cities which nurse their ash-pit skies and clouds of dead sleet. Anywhere but here, in the violet light of glorious Antibes. At night, fruit falls to the grass with a soft thunk, and in the morning she finds the oranges split and stormed by ants. The smell around the villa is ripening, and already, this early, the insects have begun. Hadley gets up and goes over to the window. When she presses her forehead against the glass, she can see his mistress's room. Fife's blinds are closed. Their son, Bumby, sleeps downstairs, too, having fended off the whooping cough, the coqueluche, which brought them all to this villa in the first place. Sarah Murphy didn't want Bumby near her children for fear the infection would spread. The Fitzgeralds were good to offer their villa for the quarantine. They didn't have to. But when Hadley walks around the rooms touching their glamorous things— It feels awful to have her marriage end in the rented quarters of another family's house. Tonight, however, marks the end of their quarantine. The Murphys have invited them over to Villa America, and it will be the first time this vacation that the unhappy trio has been in the company of friends. To Hadley, the party feels both exciting and dreadful. Something has happened in the villa that nobody else has seen as if someone has wet the mattress and not owned up to the fast-cooling spot in the middle of the bedclothes. Hadley climbs back into bed. The sheet is tense around Ernest. She tries to pull it back so that he'll think she hasn't left yet, but he has the cotton bunched in his fist. She kisses the top of his ear and whispers, You've stolen the bedding. Ernest doesn't answer, but scoops her toward him. In Paris, he likes to be up early and in his studio by nine. But in Antibes, these embraces happen many times daily, as if Ernest and Hadley are in the first flush of romance again, even while both of them know this summer might be the end of things. Lying next to him, she wonders how it is she has lost him, although perhaps that is not quite the right phrase since she has not lost him, not yet. Rather, Fife and Hadley wait and watch, as if they are lining up for the last seat on a bus. Let's go for a swim. It's too early, Hash. Ernest's eyes are still closed, though there is a flicker behind the lids. She wonders if he's weighing both of them up, now that he is awake. Should it be wife or mistress? Mistress or wife? The brain's whisper begins. Hadley swings her legs over the side of the bed. Sunlight threatens to storm the room with a pull of the chain. She feels too big for this heat. All the baby weight seems to have thickened her at the hips. It's been so hard to shift. Her hair, too, feels heavy. I'm sick of this place, she says, pulling her hand around her damp neck. Don't you long for rain or gray skies, green grass, anything? Time is it? Eight o'clock?
Ernest paws at her shoulders. No, why not? I just can't. Her voice catches on the last word. Hadley goes over to the dressing table and she feels Ernest following her with sorrowful eyes. In the mirror, her breasts spike under the nightgown. Bone-colored light fills the room when the blinds snap. He pulls the sheet over his head and looks a tiny thing under the bedclothes. Often, she doesn't know what to make of him, whether to class him as a child or a man. He's the most intelligent person she knows, and yet sometimes her instinct is to treat him like her son. The bathroom is cooler. The claw-footed tub is inviting. She'd like to get in and run herself a cold bath. She splashes the back of her neck and washes her face. Her skin is freckled from the sunshine, and her hair...